This is the fourth of five talks by John Sutherland on the Brahma Viharas. He was given at Saragorda Temple, Santa Fe, New Mexico, on August 1st, 2009. Good evening, Bodhisattvas. Um, we've been talking for the last several weeks about the Brahma Viharas, the heavenly abodes or boundless states of heart mind of uh, traditional Buddhism. And um, I think so far we've, um, we've covered, <laughs> as if we could ever cover, um, sympathetic joy and equanimity, which leads, leaves us uh, compassion and loving kindness to talk about. And I want to start talking about uh, compassion tonight and have a feeling that that would be something we could explore for a few times at least. Um, I want to take a little bit of a different look at compassion. I think when we, when, when the word compassion is said, we tend to think of something like empathy, like the ability to either feel what someone else is feeling or to imagine what it must be like to feel what they're feeling. And um, that's certainly true. There's no question that that's an aspect of compassion. And I think there's something, something else, which is the passion part. Uh, another way to think about compassion is that it, it is our willingness to bring our passion to a situation. So here's what I mean by that. Um, first of all, there are passions and passions. <laughs> And um, we're not talking about sort of bringing everything we feel into any situation. There's a, a kind of passion which is any intense emotion, either what we would usually call positive or negative. It can be anger or love or um, sexual desire or fear, anything that really gets a grip on us. And it can be wild and chaotic and out of control. And we're sort of what the Greeks called possessed by uh, someone or something in that moment. And I think the way that the Greeks thought about passions is really helpful in that that kind of wild and uncontrolled strong feeling, they said, was like being possessed by a god. So if you, if you just are flash with rage and have this, an intense feeling of rage, they would say, oh, you're possessed by Ares, the god of war, in that moment. Or if you feel an uprushing jealousy, oh, you know, Hera, the goddess of jealousy, is, is possessing you at the moment. And the Greeks thought that when that happened, there wasn't really a whole lot you could do except tie yourself to a mast of a ship or lock yourself in a room, you know, until it passed. Because, you know, in some sense, you weren't there anymore. You were in the grip of something um, much bigger than yourself. And I think probably everyone in this room has had a feeling like that once or twice in their life where the feeling felt even sort of bigger than yourself and, you, and you're not suddenly in, in control anymore. So that's, um, that's a kind of uh, passion I don't recommend bringing into a difficult situation. But, but to acknowledge that often our compassion is called upon or invited in just those moments when things are most 
confused and difficult. Um, usually we're responding to that kind of passion in someone else or some group of other people. Those kinds of, of deep and chaotic and out of control emotions. So situations of compassion can be bloody and muddy and confusing and all of that, just like those feelings that we were familiar with ourselves. They can, they can be much more like a, um, a painting by Goya than by Vermeer, if you know what I mean. Um, so it's not good to bring fire to a bonfire if what you're trying to do is put the bonfire out. And there was another way of considering passion, which is um, one of the, the stereotypes of, of Zen in particular that causes me the most pain. Um, is the one that says it's all about not having passion, you know, about somehow um, eliminating your passion or reducing it down so everything's very smooth. And um, I'm not so interested in, in that. But what I am interested in is a kind of passion that doesn't have that quality of possession, but has the other way the Greeks said that you could relate to the gods, which is that they could inspire you. So the gods could um, inspire you to do heroic deeds or write beautiful music, you know, whatever it is. And that's a different kind of passion. That's, um, it's a deep feeling state. Um, it's it's uh, full of energy and life. But it's not, it, and it might be out of control in the best way, you know, in the way that when you're creating art, you can have that feeling of, I'm not doing this, something is doing this with me, and how glorious that is. So it's not about control or not control, but it is, it is something about you're in it, you're there, <laughs> you're participating. There's a collaboration between you and the gods, and the result of that collaboration is this, is it can be a deep feeling of passion, of caring for something, of, of, of something being really important, and something you're willing to commit to and dedicate yourself to. Um, so that's the kind of passion that I think it can be helpful to bring to a situation. Remembering that situations which call for our compassion are often troubled ones. But one of the old uh, Chinese koan teachers said that the ship of compassion is not sailed on pure waves. And what I think he meant by that is if you have pure waves and, and smooth waters, you don't need a ship of compassion. Things are okay. It's exactly those moments when things get difficult, that the, that the ship of compassion is wonderful to see heaving into sight, you know, around the, the, the promontory of land. Um, okay, so, so that's the first thing, to not think of it as a kind of, necessarily a state of calm or, or lack of feeling. Uh, it may be, sometimes it is, but it doesn't have to be. It can be something we're really bringing a lot of our, our own feeling and concern to. And that, um, that kind of brings me to the, the second thing I want to say about it, which has to do with, with defining compassion as empathy. Um, surely there is a component of empathy in compassion. But if compassion is dependent on empathy, if it's dependent on our ability to either feel what someone else is feeling or to imagine what they're feeling, I'll speak for myself, I'm in trouble because I don't empathize with everything. 
I can't feel my way into, I look around the world today and I see everything that's happening, and I can't feel my way into everybody doing everything out there. There are things I don't understand. There are things I don't get. There are things I don't find the corresponding place in me. So if my compassion is dependent on my empathy, I'm out of luck. So I want to suggest that the feeling with is not just feeling with the suffering of others, which is how we tend to think of compassion. It's our ability to feel with the suffering of others. It's possible that it's something deeper that gets us out of that problem of whether we can feel empathy or not. And that is, compassion is the ability to feel with others our common humanity. I can do that with anyone and anything, anywhere. Um, I can, in response to pretty much anything, find in me, it's so poignant being human. It's so terrible being human sometimes. It's so beautiful being human sometimes. I can always go there. And that's not dependent on my ability to understand what that person's doing or feeling or what's going on for them. Because we're connecting underneath that at the level of this is the poignancy of humanity. This is the, our shared humanness. Um, so I want to I tell a little story that, that has uh, all of these elements in it, I think. A few years ago, I was working with a man who was um, a very um, alive, uh, powerful, you know, in the world person. And he was feeling this tremendous sorrow for the first time in his life. And it was sort of like, wow, who knew? You know, who knew that it was possible to feel something like this? And it had really knocked him back, not a place he was, he was used to being. And so we were working with the sorrow over a long period of time, and he was really willing to stay with it, to not try to fix it or jump out of it or anything else, but to stay with the sorrow week after week, month after month. And one day he came and he said, I was sitting with a group of people, and I looked around, and I noticed that everybody's chest was rising and falling just a little bit as they breathed. And he said, I suddenly thought, this is something all creatures do. And in that moment where he could not get out of his sorrow, but from the depths of his sorrow, see the poignancy of all living beings whose chests rise and fall a little bit as they breathe, something began to shift. And it's not like, you know, he threw off his crutches and stood up and walked. I mean, that was, that, was, that was wrong. It wasn't he saw that his sorrow was not something he needed to fix. That he, that right next to sorrow in his heart was for the first time an understanding of the poignancy of life. And without the sorrow, he never would have felt the poignancy. So was it wrong? Was it bad? <coughs> hard to say. You know, hard to say that we should have just patched him right up and given him antidepressants or something. You know, there was something tremendously valuable there because feeling the sorrow, lying down on the dark earth when that was the invitation, um, listening to the small voices he didn't usually hear, opened up a completely different relationship with life. 
for him. There's something in there about compassion. Um, he didn't do anything. He wasn't trying to help anybody. He didn't um, particularly try to feel what anybody else was feeling. He just stayed with his own sorrow. Because it's really impossible for us to deal with other people's feelings if we can't deal with our own. And that's, I think, sort of self-evident, you know, in a way. Um, but in terms of compassion, it makes it difficult. Because if we're not at peace with our own, even our own tumultuous feelings, then in any situation where our compassion is called upon, we're going to be busy worrying about how we're feeling. If I'm not comfortable being afraid, if I'm not comfortable not understanding, <laughs> you know, if I'm not comfortable in any of these states, then if I'm in this state with someone else who needs my help, I'm going to be worried about my discomfort with, or my fear or my judgment. You know, again with this, you know, can't you do something different for a change? You know, all that kind of stuff. So we have to have a first a comfort with our own feeling states, and then an understanding that our own feeling states aren't the most important thing happening in the situation. If there's a situation that's calling for our compassion, the most important thing is not how we feel about that. There's something else going on that's more important, which doesn't mean that we um, ignore what we're feeling. Um, it means that we recognize that we're really complicated and we're capable of feeling anger and compassion at the same time, fear and compassion at the same time. You can, you can be ups really upset with someone and still feel compassion for them and still do something compassionate towards them. We are capable of that. And the simple thing there is something we talk about a lot, the fear, the anger, the impatience, the whatever, the, whatever our, our reaction is, doesn't have pride of place. It doesn't become the most important thing. It's one thing rising and falling in this situation. And we, we're aware of it, we acknowledge it, but we don't let it take over. We don't become possessed by it. So, um, we might think of the sort of the unit of compassion <laughs> as not being a matter of we're, we're giving a commodity to someone who needs it. So the, the, the compassion, we're the giver and they're the receiver, and so the compassion is sort of located with them. But the, the thing we want to be compassionate about is them in their situation and us in our situation. So all of that is taken into account. Um, when I think about the way people talk about compassion, it's almost always the absence of compassion. It's almost always, I should have felt compassion in that situation, but right? Do, yeah, do you recognize that? I mean, we're always sort of realizing, oh, I wish I could have felt more compassion, but I couldn't. You know? So that's interesting to me, that we're mostly noticing it in its absence. And that's because I think we have an unrealistic idea of what compassion is, that it has to be pure, that we can't have any negative feelings about it. We've got to have a perfect empathy with the situation. 
Um, and if we're falling short of that, it's not really, you know, we're, it's not really compassion. And so, if we if we think that it's not about having perfect empathy, it's not about being completely open and giving to to the situation, then something else becomes possible, um, and that has to do with. Feeling compassion even when we don't understand the situation. Feeling compassion even when the situation makes us tremendously uncomfortable. That those circumstances, not understanding or being really uncomfortable, don't um, don't mean that, that don't destroy the possibility of compassion. So, if there's a situation we don't understand or if there's a situation that we don't feel comfortable with, our willingness to be there anyway is compassion. As soon as we say, I'm willing to move with my discomfort, with my lack of understanding, you know, with, with my frustration, with whatever, whatever it is, I'm willing anyway to show up for this. We have stepped out on the path of compassion. We're already walking it. We're already there. It doesn't have to be this perfect crystalline object that we hand to someone. It's our willingness to show up, to stay open, to listen, to be willing to have our mind changed, um, even despite our discomfort or despite our lack of empathy in the situation. And this becomes possible when we change our sense of what compassion is from the ability to feel empathy to the ability to feel the humanness of the situation, to feel our common humanity with another person, then you can walk on that, you can step out on that path anytime because it's not dependent on anything. All it is is dependent on the recognition, the feeling with our humanity. Um, and what's one of the many things that's beautiful about that to me is another theme of the summer has been about um, noticing where we feel special, either in our virtues or in our sufferings, and the way we um, act or judge ourselves in terms of you know how we're doing on the specialness meter. <laughs> how special am I today? How special was I when I, you know, did X? So what we're talking about, compassion as a feeling with our common humanness, is a is a way of um, not falling for that specialness delusion. It's a way of saying, you know, I don't always get it. I don't understand this. Some of this really bothers me, but. I'm going to throw my lot in with life. I'm not going to keep myself back as special, either because um, I don't get it or because I have to wait until I have the perfect crystalline object to deliver. I'm not going to wait for that. I'm going to throw my lot in right here and right now with human beings and trees and rocks and everything else and trust that there's something happening when all of us are throwing our lots in and not holding ourselves back as special, when all of us are willing to take any step onto the path of compassion. 
then we're all in it together. And um, that's not a transaction. <laughs> There's no commodity involved in that. There's only a deep, confused, sometimes uncertain, but poignant commitment to being part of this life that we're in together. So I will um, stop there for tonight and would be glad to hear the comments or questions you might have. These talks are made available through your donations to Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works. To learn more about her teachings and to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our donate page at joansutherlanddharmaworks.org.